This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. President Biden has issued the first veto of his presidency of a bipartisan bill that would have reversed a new Department of Labor rule allowing investment managers to consider environment, social, and government goals when selecting stocks and managing workers' monies. Previously, fund managers and portfolio and pension fund managers had a fiduciary duty to solely act prudently uh, in the interest of their stockholders, their investors, their retirees, in order to minimize the risk of large losses based on standard financial metrics, no social goals, nothing else, just financial metrics, and to attempt to maximize returns consistent with minimizing losses. Under the Biden administration, the DOL is allowing fund managers to vitiate the fiduciary duty, replacing it with their own woke social and political goals. In essence, it allows liberal elites to play with your money to support their woke goals. This topic couldn't be more important, and here to discuss it today is Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. Phil, it's been a while. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure, Sterling. Great to be with you. So, Phil, before we jump into the meat of the interview, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or American Commitment, please tell us a little about your background, what drew you to the topic of ESG, and what American Commitment is. Well, we're a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to pick the big fights that are sort of on the margin where a little bit more citizen engagement and uh, education might tip the outcome in a more free market direction, and all our stuff is on AmericanCommitment.org. So, Phil, what was the bipartisan bill that Biden vetoed, and what was it aimed at doing? All right. Uh, I'm going to back up a little bit and give you the whole history of this issue because there's so many like double, triple, quadruple negatives that it gets very confusing if you don't walk through it all in sequence. So basically what happened is this. Uh, up until maybe five or six years ago, everybody knew what fiduciary duty or fiduciary obligation meant in the context of retirement plans. It meant financial. It meant financial returns. It meant, you know, managing the money based on and trying to manage risk and get the best financial return for investors. That's what the word has always meant. But the left likes to redefine words <laughs> to advance their agenda. And what what happened is there were all these activists and these uh, this whole ESG movement, environmental, social, and governance movement, that decided that uh, fund, manage, fund managers should reconceive of their fiduciary duty to include what are called non pecuniary factors, which is to say, you know, oh, you know what would be in my investors' interest? Solving global warming or advancing LGBT or doing social justice. And so I'm going to consider that when I select the companies that I invest in, even if it might mean lower returns for my investors. And uh, you can imagine there was a lot of uproar and backlash at this, but it's gained a lot of influence and a lot of currency in the investment world and on Wall Street. And so what the Trump administration did is they actually wrote a formal rule at the Department of Labor that said fiduciary obligation means financial only. You cannot consider non-pecuniary objectives or factors 
when you decide what to invest in if you're managing a retirement plan. And uh, that was the Trump rule, which was pretty common sense, I think. And they didn't say you can't do ESG investing, but if you do, it has to actually be in the financial interests of your of of your uh, investors. You can't do it because of the political goals or the non-pecuniary goals. So that was the Trump rule. Let, let Biden me, came in. Let me let me yeah, hold you for right. just a second because I want to I want to stress that everyone says every everyone that's been defending the Biden veto, they've said, oh well, this uh, this will help people make money, and it's just getting rid of a, a, a radical MAGA rule that disallowed the use of ESG. And the truth is what you just said. Managers could already invest in companies that were ESG positive, right? It didn't matter how good they were, how bad they were ESG. They could invest in those companies if it made financial sense for their investors, but not just because they're ESG. That's changed. Yeah. And in fact, the Trump rule specifically said that. It said, you know, it, it said you can consider ESG if you want to, but it has to make financial sense. That's what it is. That's what the Trump rule said. A pretty common sense rule. Uh, the Biden Department of Labor came in and they put in a rule that repeals the Trump rule and basically says, you know, fiduciary duty can include non-pecuniary factors. Now, to me, I don't even understand what the word fiduciary means anymore, if you can consider non-pecuniary <laughs> factors, right? Because, you know, I'm representing the fiduciary interests of my investors because I am pursuing this global warming thing or this LGBTQ award. You know, I mean, that's, that, it's not fiduciary, but that's what the Biden administration did. So uh, Congress used a tool called the Congressional Review Act, which is uh, – Basically, it's a bill that has a privileged status, so it can't be filibustered in the Senate. They can only be used to specifically overturn rulemakings from agencies. So that's this bill, H.J. Res. 30, that passed the House and the Senate. And it got it, it got every Republican in the House plus one Democrat, Jared Golden from Maine, and it got every Republican in the Senate plus two Democrats, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and John Tester from Montana, and uh, they put it on the president's desk. And it's the you know it's a one sentence bill. It's not a seven thousand page. It's a one sentence bill that repeals the Biden rule and puts the Trump rule back in. Um, and as we said, it was a pretty common sense Trump rule, I think. And, and uh, but of course, Biden vetoed it, and he lied about it when he vetoed it. He said, "You know, I'm protecting you from these Republicans that want to interfere in your investments and you want to make you get less money," which is actually the opposite of what he was doing, because he's saying, "You know, now fiduciary obligation doesn't mean getting you the most money in your retirement account. Now it means, uh, you know, quote non-pecuniary factors, whatever that might be." Yeah. I mean, they might still manage it. Someone might still manage it solely for pecuniary. But the point is, if the manager doesn't want to, if the pension fund is, a, is a, a, say, teacher's retirement fund and they want to protest uh, climate change, they can start investing along those lines, even if it harms the teachers. Right. You know, it, it, you know with the Trump rule in place, I think fund managers would have been pretty hesitant to get too aggressive on the politicization of their funds because they would have opened themselves up to lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, this is essentially a green light for the, you know, the left-wing activists to, you know, pressure, you know, to use fund managers to accomplish things they couldn't actually get through laws. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, I talked about this yesterday in a, in a, in an interview that I did. Um, it, it, it doesn't say they have to do it, you know, because that's that's one of the things that says, no, we don't mandate that you do this. No, but it gives them an out. If someone complains, if, if a retiree or a, a investor or a 
you know, a, 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 a fund employee, a teachers union employees, uh, firefighters, uh, uh, retirement fund employees. You know, if they complain, the, the fund manager can now say, well, you know, the government said I could do it. Yeah. Well, look, the, the Trump rule was issued for a reason, which yeah. is this is what's been happening. This is a movement and you know, this woke capital movement uh, the, the sort of was spearheaded by BlackRock, but now there are lots of other uh, Wall Street players that are pushing it. Uh, you know, this is this is this is a thing that's happening in the world that the, the rule was trying to block and you know, when you when you have the government try to stop something that's picking up steam and then Another administration comes in and says, actually, full steam ahead. We repealed the rule. You've got the green light. That's only going to make it even worse than it was before, because yeah. now they've got the blessing of the government. So you've already sort of described some of your thoughts on the bill. Did, but, but go into more about why the DOL rule is bad and why Congress uh, was not just justified but needed to act to prevent the DOL regulation. Well, you know, as I said, the, the Biden rule uh, essentially is uh, a green light for using so-called non-pecuniary factors in the definition of fiduciary obligation, which, to my mind, vitiates the whole concept of fiduciary obligation. And so uh, it, it needs to be overturned. And the way that this bill did it using the Congressional Review Act is the best way to do it, because it, it not only overturns it, but it prohibits uh, substantially the same rule from ever being reinstituted in the future. And so uh, it, it would have a significant uh, impact in terms of, you know, this this back and forth that we've had would actually be ended uh, if you could get it signed. Of course, you know, the problem with this approach we using Congressional Review Act is you're almost never going to get a president to sign a bill banning his own rulemaking. <laughs> and so, you know, they usually only work when you've had a presidential election in between when the rule came out and when you, you passed the bill to ban it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was more about kind of forcing the veto and raising the issue and, uh, you know, than, than actually getting it enacted. But, you know, the, 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 the key, I think, here, the key takeaway legislatively is they've got majorities in the House and Senate to do this, and so now they can try to put it on an appropriations bill or try to put it on some other must-pass bill that would be hard for them to veto. And so this should not be the end of it. Uh, they, they need to continue uh, to work on this until you know they can kind of force his hand and get him to sign it. Yeah, you know, uh, I've looked at it, and others have looked at it, uh, even more than me. Uh, it turns out that uh, ESG funds... Uh, woke corporations, woke woke investments, they do worse in the marketplace than average returns and much worse than returns that focus solely on uh, maximizing profit. That's what the research shows, right? Yeah, well, they had a they had a really bad, really bad couple of years uh, because, you know, if you boycott oil and gas and oil and gas is doing well, you're going to do very poorly. And of course, you know, from a from a retirement investor standpoint, you want to be as broadly diversified as possible because nobody knows in any given year or two what sectors are going to do well and what sectors are going to do badly. So when you start sort of boycotting sectors, you really undermine your returns. And so, you know, they, if you look at sort of the list of what ESG, all the major ESG funds have done, uh, last year in particular, in 2022, almost all of them did worse than the overall market, and, and most of them substantially so. And in the long term, you would expect them to do worse because they have inferior diversification. Uh, there was one study that was done uh, by Andy Puzder's group, um, and you know, of course, you know, Trump wanted him to be 
Labor Secretary, and he ended up withdrawing. So I'm sure he follows these issues very closely. And, and the, he looked at the 900 biggest companies in the Standard & Poor's, so the S&P 500 big cap, and then the next 400 mid-cap companies. And they, he found that only about 200 of them were politically neutral. Uh, but the ones that were politically neutral had much better performance than the ones that were politically active. I think over the last 10 years, it was like 300% returns versus 200% returns. And so a huge difference uh, in the companies that stay out of politics versus the ones that are politically active. Yeah, and that, and that redounds, you know, to the, that impacts the retirees' uh, final retirement fund, right? You know, I mean, in the end, yeah, that, that's, that's, the that's where I mean, the bottom look, line. This is what he vetoed, is your retirement security. I mean, he vetoed... Uh, the principle that whoever's managing your your retirement funds has to act in your financial interest. He said they, you know, they can act in your interest however defined. They can decide stopping global warming is the mm -hmm. most important thing for your interest and do that. And you know, I just don't think there are many people out. The reason this is such a great political issue for Republicans and they need to stay on it is I just don't think many people in reality at the end of the day would be happy with a smaller retirement account, but whatever liberal objective possibly being advanced. I, I just don't see people being okay with that. It's especially scary when you realize that a lot of these public pension funds, uh, large, you know, public education funds, uh, state retiree funds, they're already underfunded. <laughs> they're, right. That's they're the all... other aspect. Is you get hammered as a taxpayer. You might say, you, might say, you know, the only retirement account I have is self-managed and you know, I'm not, yeah. this issue doesn't affect me. Well, okay, but to your point, Whatever state you live in has lots of state pension funds, yeah. and if those are not managed to maximize financial returns, if those are managed instead to play politics at the expense of financial returns, then the inevitable bailout is going to be that much bigger, and you're going to get whacked as a taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. a lot of, lot of uh, sort of layer upon layer with this issue. So how did, you know, we've discussed the wrongs of it. How did Biden justify his veto? Uh, you know, and, and more importantly, then how he justified it? Why do you think he actually vetoed the bill if it what if it doesn't match what he said? You know what he said was almost the 180 degree opposite of the truth. He said this bill is Republicans trying to interfere in your retirement uh, savings for their political objectives, and I'm vetoing it so you can get as much money as possible. And you know <laughs> when somebody lies about why they're doing something, I think it's because they can't defend what they're actually doing. And I think that. Um, I think he knows full well that his rule allows political act allows you know people's retirement funds to be diverted to political activism at the expense you know of their retirement security, but he thinks that's good because it advances left wing causes and things he believes in. And I, I think that you know the everything that we've talked about about why it's bad he thinks is a good thing, but you can't say that because you can't tell people. You know, you'll be a little bit poorer in retirement, but, uh, you know, we're going to shave one one hundredth of a degree off global warming or something. You know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, but but the board board of all your companies will uh, look more like society. Yeah, right, right, right. We'll we'll make sure their quotas for LGBT and uh, you know the social justice and this that, and the other race, thing. I mean, every race, regardless of their competence to manage uh, manage a company. Um, so. If this isn't, if Congress doesn't find another way to overturn this, uh, they'll have to wait till the next election to then maybe change it. In the meantime, a lot of, a lot of sort of damage can be done, I suspect. So, how do you think retirees over time will suffer if this rule 
becomes the permanent law of the land? Well, I think that, um, you know, only time will tell exactly how much these, you know, the ESG investing approach is going to underperform a more broadly diversified portfolio. But, you know, I think that over time, you know, the, the magic of compounding returns is such that even, you know, even if the difference is, you know, 1% in a given year, if it's most years like that over decades, you're going to have a huge difference in the amount of money that's there uh, come retirement time. And so I think that anything that allows uh, fund managers to put something ahead of the financial interests of their investors is going to cost them an awful lot of money over time. I do have confidence that, you know, if we can't get this resolved legislatively, it'll be one of those things that flips back and forth, that toggles back and forth, depending on the party that's in the White House. But that's not great either. You want to have stable rules that protect people that are not at the sort of the vagaries of the political process. And so I would hope that, um, that this, you know, I think that if Trump and the Republicans had known what a big issue this was going to be in the first two years when they had the House and Senate, they would have written something into law to prevent it. And so, you know, you hope that you know, the next time they control everything, they can you know, make something a little bit stronger and maybe foresee the next <laughs> battleground and uh, forestall it before it happens. But yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Until it gets resolved, uh, it's going to probably toggle back and forth. Yeah, because, you know, but – and, and – there's more battles to come, right? The DOL, the Department of Labor, is not the only agency looking at uh, issuing regulations, uh, endorsing ESG or even mandating some ESG stuff. Uh, the SEC is looking at stuff. Others are looking at things. Up. It's just one, one, one agency has, after another. The SEC has one of the most completely insane uh, climate regulations that's ever been proposed. You know, maybe as bad or worse than anything EPA has done. They've got this proposal to require every publicly traded company to disclose their climate risk and their total emissions. And uh, the emissions are defined in such a way that they have to include upstream and downstream from their customers and suppliers. And the compliance costs alone would be billions and billions of dollars. And it's just a toy. It would more than double the size of the agency. So, you know, it's like all the rules they have now. Now they'd have climate rules just as onerous or more than all the rules they already have. Um, they had a proposal on that last year. They got a lot of comments, and uh, they never finalized it. But, you know, when you have a proposal and you never finalize it, it's always kind of hanging out there, right. and it could always come back. Yeah, I, I issued comments on that. You know, that rule seemed to me just blatantly unlawful to this extent. They They were basically trying to deputize corporations that were – uh, under their jurisdiction, you know, they, they do have a role to uh, uh, over, you know, publicly traded corporations. But they were trying to reach down, like you say, uh, backwards and forwards to companies that may not be under their jurisdiction and to somehow get those companies to force them to disclose. Right. right. They were going to make every publicly traded company a climate cop on their own customers and suppliers. Right. Which, you know, I, 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 I don't see any place in the Constitution where you get to be a cop for other people. Uh, that's what if, – if you, if you have to have a cop, the government's supposed to be it, not, uh, not uh, uh, some corporation. So, Phil, big picture, if you can make just one point, what's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today of Biden's veto and what is at stake with the DOL rule? Well, I think the point is that uh, a lot of the things that we traditionally think about as uh, in the political realm and determined by elections are now happening in the corporate world and through investment. And the left has really made enormous strides in taking over corporate boardrooms and using the proxy process and, uh, you know, leveraging pension funds and other retirement savings for political purposes. And, uh, 
they've now got a green light to make it even worse uh, from the Biden administration. So I know a lot of states are trying to fight back, and uh, you know we're going to continue to see legislative efforts in Congress as well. But I think people need to be aware of it, and uh, to the extent that they can control and manage their own investments, as a lot of people do now, you know, make sure that yours are not being <laughs> wasted on this political stuff. If you're in a pension where you can't exert much control over it, uh, you can't do that. But for a lot of us, uh, we can choose our funds and we, sh- we should be careful that they're not being wasted. Well, Phil, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I want to thank you for coming on on behalf of myself and our listeners. My pleasure, Sterling. Anytime. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Hartland's website as we follow the work of Phil Kirpin and American Commitment. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws or regulations that affect you. In addition, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.